Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. Today is an exciting day, and I think everyone <laughs> missed it. And it's really, really exciting. So um, a lot of people are devastated on the elections. I'm still holding out for like Wisconsin and Arizona. I was talking with the um, with some of the attorneys this morning. Um, I'm very excited. And here's where you're going to know that everything's going to be so awesome because you get what you ask for. It's been five years that they've been trying to get a hold of our president's tax returns. Right, guys? And he's been refusing and he's been fighting it and he's been saying, Whoop, um, you can't have it. I'm not giving it to you. Um, asked the court to uh, stay, you know, to, like, don't give him my tax returns. And what did I tell you about the mob? So apparently the people investigating President Trump and his taxes and everything, right? hired this mobster, which you would think would make the Democrats and all these insane people excited. They would be excited. They would be like, yeah, we got a pit bull that's coming after Trump. But you saw Maddo was crying about it, right? And the thing is, it's if you look at the way he does cases, like, come on, guys, you got this pit bull. You got this guy that's so good. Ah, why are you so upset? Why are you upset that you have this pit bull now that um, is on the U.S. attorney team? And, you know, <laughs> that's going to go after Trump. Like, why are you pissed? Right? Because if you look at his cases, he investigates. He leaves nothing unturned. He uncovers everything. And the way he wins is by finding who exactly did what? He puts it out like no other. Like no other. And people sing. They sing. But let me tell you about how we won today and how you know now it's all going to be fine. So the election cases were chucked out. Damn it. So sucks. Would have been great. Would have been great. But what we got was... Oh, here you go. You can have the tax returns. Wait a minute. Did the Supreme Court rule that we can release tax returns like that? Yes, we can. But here's the thing. What is the difference here? What is the problem here? Let's think. The Trump Organization, is it a single business or is it a family business? Single or family? What do you think? I mean, his kids run it, right? It's an organization, right? And his kids run it, right? <laughs> Wait, yeah. So let's think of some other family that has children that run money. Think. Who else has money? What other family would be of your interest to find out about? I don't know islands with submarines on them, property in, uh, you know, Yemen, in Luxembourg, in Australia, in Kazakhstan, all over America. What other family? Okay. So if your tax return, Senor Biden, shows that you're part of this group and you've just allowed 
even though you're president, um, for the tax return before he was president, you know, what was it from like a decade ago to come to surface? Then so do we. And then, see, it ties into his sons. Gosh darn it. Wait a minute. Isn't your son part of the business, Joe Biden? Oh, shit. Now we get everything. So this is where it begins. The demolition of them. And this is why they're already throwing Cuomo under the bus. And they really don't give a crap about Biden because Harris is taking on presidential duties. See, it doesn't work like that. God will not allow it to work like that. Good will not allow it to work like that. So if you guys think that them throwing Cuomo under the bus for all these murders is happenstance, happen chance, you have no idea. It's the first hundred days and the more they want to slow shit down. Hey, it's just going to be even prettier because now you have like a bunch of liberals all excited about these tax returns that people have drumrolled and it's like, it's nothing. The only thing they wanted to do was probe President Trump's kids. Ah, They'll be like, wait a minute. Um, how is it that, oh, we have to look at this, this part of the business. Oh, we need to look at Eric's and stuff because, see, this is what the prosecutors are going to get. I mean, remember, you go one level, you could go another. And here's the cool thing. Remember when tax returns were stolen from the IRS and then released and then the guy was arrested because he was like illegally getting IRS shit and that's how they got Manafort? Do you remember that? Hmm. All right. So now that you remember that, I want you to think, um, if they got Manafort stuff and they released it, I mean, why didn't they get Trump's? Well, I mean, he already went to jail. Why didn't they get, I don't know, uh, Don Jr.'s or Eric Trump's? Oh, that's right. Because they just walked into the stickiest trap ever. Scotusgate just went kaboom. And that's the thing. Nobody sees it. Nobody sees that yet. I'm fine with the tax returns. I'm totally fine because this is exactly what we were waiting for. Now, it would have been great if um, the elections would have the election cases would have come up. And I know a lot of people are like, what the heck, Amy? Oh my gosh. You know, what? How could Kavanaugh, like, what are you guys doing? Like, we could have won this if we had those two votes, but they didn't give it, right? And there's a lot of cases going on. But why didn't they give it? I mean, it would have been a cakewalk five to four. Like, why didn't they give it? See, if you read Thomas's, um, Thomas Clarence's um, dissent. Clarence Thomas, Jesus. Today, I've just been praying all morning. <laughs> um, I really need that because I'm feeling super evil, meaning like I'm reveling in the fact that people are going to be destroyed soon. And I, I don't like that energy. Even though we all love that catty energy, it's really making me hurt because, you know, a lot of people are going to be crying and they're going to be upset and a lot of people are going to lose their livelihood. So, um, I was praying a lot this morning and it kicked it off because of the, that friend of mine that I went to her home late, obviously to see her for her birthday. Um, and she fed me, <laughs> um, she sent me a, a link. 
um, to a prayer that she listens to in the morning. So I started with that and then I just kept praying while I was working this morning. And um, I, I, I found, you know, I feel that I'm becoming, it's not a nice feeling to like other people failing. And even though, the, oh my gosh, they deserve it. It's not mine to revel in. Everything that happens is because of him, not us. Um, not me, not you. Um, it's him. He works through us. And um, so uh, this is why evil wins so badly um, lately. And this is why I, I see that humans have fallen into that because with the internet, people boast a lot. They boast a lot. And, um, you know, <laughs> and everybody loves to be like, oh my gosh, I accomplished this. And it's normal to feel graciously uh, excited that you accomplished something. But the internet has created a monster. It, it, it not only allows people to unleash maliciousness, but to also increase envy because you see people's, you know, 3% of whatever their life is online and it's only the good stuff, right? And so um, it's so hard to um, not become that nasty monster when you see them fail because this morning the first thing the minute the orders were coming out people were boasting oh my gosh we got his tax returns ha 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 uh -huh, they kicked out this case uh -huh. and i'm like oh my gosh i got excited because they were excited because i know how hard it's they're gonna fall people are gonna lose their mind it is going to be so tragic when they come to realization of what has been happening and what is going on. And I enjoyed it. I literally enjoyed it. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to pray right now because I don't feel nice about it. I don't feel nice that I am reveling in the fact that they will be tortured. Um, and um, I'm finding it really hard because I want to gloat. I want to boast and everything and it's like today has been an incredible day i mean that decision from scotus to here you go take his tax returns is exactly what we needed we needed the supreme court to rule on that because now nothing can stop us from getting hunter shit nothing and linking it to biden period it's done it's over he's gone this is why we don't see him. And I'm like, this is perfect because it was like, I felt like I, as they were excited and I was watching them on Twitter saying things, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. You guys are going to be crying. You're like mm, shoving it in people's face or, you know, they're mostly bots. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there, I can't wait until you bend your head down and not know which which is up, which is down. I can't wait for you. This is what I was thinking to, um, you know, fail. I can't wait for you to just be like that liberal that was screaming in the middle of the street because they couldn't, you know, uh, express their feelings. I was reveling in it. It was like I was bathing in their sorrow before their sorrow came. And so, um, you know, they're doing it to irritate you. I mean, I even saw it on my television. This didn't happen. And it's like, you know what? Fuck off. Go join the lefties. We don't need you here. If you can't see what battles are really 
there and what the war is because it's already been won, then you need to like step away. Um, I don't like to silence people and I leave them be, but I'm just saying it's like, it's so sickening to watch people like that. Um, because they're, they're the ones that are pulling down this whole reality. You know, when you speak things, it comes into reality because this is part of the program. And when you are a pessimist um, or when you revel in failure, that's what people do. They revel in failure. All you will have is failure. So, um, you know, I do have an incognito Twitter. I'm not sharing that. Um but I can tell you that uh, the more I see it, it's so good because people are like, Trump tax returns. Oh my gosh, SCOTUS is so awesome. Ha ha, your friends didn't help you. Great. Because now, now is where it comes. That's the way it is. Today was like the sun came out and it's like, yes, yes, yes. This is how it has to be. Tax records are coming. Guess what? It's a company. It's not just his. His kids are there. But guess what they have been doing with those tax records? They have their kids' stuff on it. Oh, 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 be careful. I would say it's kind of exciting because once they take it there, there's no going back. Because most of the stuff that they're going to be chasing is going to be falling into their kids, you see? And this is how it is. So... See, there I go, boasting about the fact that they have no idea what's coming. It's so terrible. So terrible. And, and one has to think, why did President Trump block them? Like, nobody cares what happened in 2009. Do you? I don't. I don't care what you did yesterday. I, I care about what you're doing today. So it's... um. It's uh, going to be pretty interessante um, to see how quick we can play this out now that they got the mobster. And that could be that the media already knows that there's nothing there. And the media already knows that this is just a destruction. This is where it's going to be fun. Because wait till you see what the AG Letitia did, AG of New York did, to President Trump's kids and what she's doing with these tax returns. Because this is where it comes back. There's a lot of things going on in the background that many people don't see. And, and, and that's the way things work. <laughs> a miracle is abound, but you just don't see it because you expect it to come the way it comes. It'll come in its time. Obviously, I want it faster than anything because uh, <laughs> I'm impatient. I already know the end. But um, I'm going to show you something that you're going to be like, wait a minute. Where have I heard this before? Um, who's running the show? He says, take a listen. Something is happening with time. It's bending, it's warping. I don't know, but it was only six days ago that the Senate was trying to impeach Donald Trump. Remember that nonsense? Six days ago. It seems like six years ago. No one was talking about it then. No one's talking about it now. At the moment, at the time, they tried to make it a big deal, but we kind of knew it wasn't. We just knew that in our hearts that it was a fraud. And that's why people... <laughs> didn't really care because they know it wasn't real. But people are talking about Governor Cuomo right now. Andrew Cuomo, darling of the Democrat Party, what, three, four months ago, certainly over the summer, there was talk about him and replacing Joe Biden as a nominee. He may go to jail when all this is over. He's in serious, serious trouble. The nursing home scandal is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the far left has 
also called for an investigation, even though one is already underway. It's now the safe, politically expedient thing to do. But when AOC gets on your case, the far left against another Democrat, yeah, it becomes very, very real. But think again, Governor Cuomo and impeachment. I live in New York. People have been talking about Governor Cuomo and the situation here for a while, and they're still talking about it. Not only people in media, people on the street, people in the subway, the few that are still there. Nobody was talking about impeachment before, during, or after. Even the last impeachment over, what, the Ukraine phone call? Nobody talked about that. They are talking about Governor Cuomo. What's my point here? One is real and people know it. The other is fake and people know it. The impeachment stuff, fake. Case against Governor Cuomo, it looks very, very bad. And people died. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Meanwhile, we've got another figure in American life that no one really is talking about either. Joe Biden. It's so odd, isn't it? Kind of drifty. There he is. Uh, White House put this, this out. He's talking to governors about the situation in the country. I think uh, he was supposed to be on the phone with Governor Abbott of Texas. This is Joe on top of the situation. But it's almost like he's a figurehead, right? No one really thinks he's in charge. Every now and then he makes a, not quite a speech, but some sort of scripted event and something always goes wrong. Now, before we play the rest of this video, I'm gonna introduce you to someone. But before I introduce you to someone, I'm gonna introduce you to something that you may have forgotten. So um, we're gonna take a trip back in time. <laughs> back in time. And um, this is gonna be fun because you're gonna see things a lot differently than you're seeing them now pertaining to control a virus. Now you're going to see where we're going with this. Now you're going to see just how big the enchilada is. Here we go. Let's do this. How can a person tell if they have the regular seasonal flu or if they've contracted the 2009 H1N1 influenza virus? Well, for a person him or herself to be able to determine that would essentially be impossible because you can get everything from very, very mild illness to severe illness with either seasonal flu or the H1N1 new 2009 pandemic flu. Most of the time it's a mild disease, uh, but there are unusual cases that can be severe. The only way a person can tell is if they get their blood drawn or other laboratory tests, which could specifically distinguish between one and the other. But that is something that is not done routinely. So if someone wakes up in the morning and feels that they're not uh, well, they get a fever, a muscle ache, some cough, the things that you would get with the flu, it would be very difficult for them to determine whether it's seasonal flu or the H1N1. However, circumstances that are going on in the community can give you a pretty big hint of what you have. Let me give you an example. When H1N1 historically has gone into a community, both in the United States in the spring of 2009, as well as what we're seeing in the Southern Hemisphere, in Argentina, Chile, Australia, in South Africa, it generally overwhelms and crowds out the seasonal flu. So if you're in a community in which we know from surveillance that 99% of the cases of flu are really H1N1, you can make a reasonable assumption 
that your illness is due to H1N1. All right. So did you hear that? He's like, well, you can't really tell if it's the flu or H1N1, he said. This is 2009, right? Uh, kind of sounds like the control of virus. So he says, you can't tell the difference, but through surveillance, and I reminded you that in 2003, from back in 2003, when we wanted to know where there were hot spots of disease, do you know what? Google would take all the searches that they had for like symptoms like itchy throat, fever, you know, nah, 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 Dr. Google, and they would provide all of that information to um, uh, the CDC so that they can find hot pockets of people searching if they're sick. So if you're looking for stuff, they already know what you're looking for. And this is just one thing. Imagine if you're searching like secret meeting, blah, blah, blah in your city. Then they see a lot of secret meeting, blah, blah, blah in this city. Boom. There you go. FBI is like right there. You've got an insurgency going on. I'm just saying this is how they find he told you surveillance. What kind of surveillance, Fauci? Now, here's where I'm going to introduce you to uh, something you didn't know about Ebola. We're going to go through Ebola and you're going to see how Ebola... <laughs> <laughs> ties into this too. So did you know, did you know that there was an Ebola outbreak in the United States back in 1989? Right. So not a lot of people know that. So in 1989, um, uh, they had brought uh, some monkeys uh, from um the Philippines. It was, um, they were in a unit in Virginia, uh, um, in Hazleton and, you know, in, uh, no, it was in Reston, Reston, Virginia. This is called the Reston, um, Ebola virus. So this happened in 1989. What happened was they found that there was an Ebola virus and it was causing uh, something that was like the, it's, it called out, they thought it was the simian hemorrhagic fever. In fact, it was Ebola. In fact, there are a few strains of Ebola that are different, right? Just so you know. Um, and only four of them are deadly uh, to people. There are only four are deadly to people. And um, uh, the rest in Ebola is not one of them. Uh, Budibugio Ebola virus, Sudan Ebola virus, Zaire Ebola virus, Thai Forest Ebola virus, both of them are deadly to humans. Bombali Ebola virus and the rest in Virginia Ebola virus are not. Because apparently there were people in that laboratory that were infected with that version of Ebola virus and, you know, they were fine. So, uh, you know, uh, that's an outbreak that nobody knew about because what happened was when they found out that this was happening, they quarantined the crap out of the place. The military came in. They swooped up that lab. They quarantined it. They they used, like, formaldehyde crystals throughout the whole place so they can get rid of it. And, you know, it went under the carpet. Like, nobody knew about it. Now, um, what these viruses and what they investigate – Kind of like control of virus. A lot of you have heard, hey, this medication works. Why are we making a vaccine? This is working. Why are we doing this? Let me explain to you the science behind the vaccines and why they're so uh, treacherous to humankind and how they've already started creating those things, of course, in Africa, because no one's going to talk in Africa, even though they consider it a satanic thing. That's what they call it. Um, there are medications that assist 
But um, through the Ebola research, in uh, these videos that I have ready for you to watch, you're going to see, number one, the real science, number two, the fear point, number three, the severe misinformation from these informative videos, and number four, how the people responded to it. Why am I saying Ebola? Because we got an outbreak, again, in Guinea. Oh, yeah. Probably missed that because we've all been looking into other things. We've got Ebola outbreaks coming out too. The WHO is sending 11,000 Ebola vaccines. Now, I'm going to tell you how the vaccines work. You're going to see it yourself and you're going to understand it too. In Guinea's forest region, the epicenter of the new Ebola outbreak. At the regional health center, UN health workers dispatch from Conakry to treat the patients in isolation. Among them is nurse Lucy Haba's husband. It is in this home where nurse Lucy suffered from a fever, vomiting and diarrhea. A week later, she died in hospital. Health workers were unaware that she had contracted Ebola. During her funeral, relatives and friends hugged her body, contracting the virus. But not her uncle, Dr. Lua, who kept his distance. He says he alerted authorities because he sensed her death was more than simply a personal tragedy. Nurse Lucille was treating her grandmother, who had a fever and was bleeding from her nose and everywhere. We tried to get blood clotting medicine from the main town. Eventually, the grandmother died and Nurse Haba contracted the illness. Security forces stop and search vehicles in an attempt to trace close contacts and check for temperatures, isolating those that appear ill. Guinea is on high alert. People are scared haunted by the previous epidemic. In 2015, over 11,000 people died and 22,000 were infected across Guinea, Sierra Leone and Liberia. Ebola was contained thanks to the development of a new vaccine. But the 350,000 doses distributed then expired last December. The UN says new vaccines are on their way. Uh, we are shipping today uh, 11,000 doses of uh, Ebola vaccine, and uh, this is a huge achievement. Terrible what they're doing uh, to these people. For the first time in Guinea, we are having a vaccine at the beginning of the outbreak to uh, control uh, this outbreak within the population. Vaccine alone will not stop a virus harbored in nature by bats and primates. Okay, here we go with the bats and the primates again. Let me tell you um, more about this um, Ebola. And you're going to see how it ties into Biden. So as we've seen, Ebola broke out, you know, uh, almost a decade ago uh, to come to the, our shores, right? And um, the Republicans, this is how you know who is for America and who is not. You have to pay attention to history. They were like demanding. Obama better like have like, you know, nah, nah, nah. give authority to the NIH and give authority to the CDC. That's what the Republicans were asking for. <laughs> None of them asked for that in 1989 when, you know, the laboratory kind of brought Ebola here and, you know, almost caused a ruckus. Nobody asked for that, but they asked for it then. And so this is where it gets really, really, really important. Okay. Because if you don't understand how they think, you will not understand how we win and how we've already won. So this is how I'll demonstrate it to you through the virus, which is affecting every single one of your lives today. And not only that, you'll totally know what Ebola is. How's that? Um, which kind of helps. So Ebola came out back then. 
And now um, I'm going to take you back in time to 2011. I'm going to take you to um, Albert Einstein College of Medicine where they discuss Ebola. If it gets too technical, what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll stop and, you know, uh, you know, elaborate it. So it's, you know, n- normal English rather than medical English, but I think he does a pretty good job. So um, we're going to listen to this from 2011 talking about Ebola. Our lab studies Ebola and Marburg viruses. These are hemorrhagic fever viruses that cause pretty rare outbreaks in sub-Saharan Africa. The thing that is sort of remarkable about these viruses is they're extremely lethal. Um, Case fatality rates can be 90% in some cases. And there's also some concern about the weaponization of these viruses. They could be bioterror agents. The question that we're asking is a really basic question. It's a problem that all viruses need to deal with, which is how do you cross the membrane that sort of covers the cell and protects the inside of the cell? And how do the virus cross this membrane and get into the cytoplasm where all the goodies are for viral replication? And so it turns out that every virus does this a little differently. One way to think about this process is that there's a series of doors that the virus needs to get through, sort of obstacles. And each of these doors has a key. And you know, the virus has sort of evolved to figure out how to open all these doors. To find the keys that Ebola and Marburg virus need to get into the cell, my collaborators and I did a genetic screen to look for these molecules. And the strongest hit that we got out of the screen was a protein called Neiman-PIC-C1 or NPC1. Um, this is a protein that sits in the membranes of all cells. Hold on, before he continues, uh, I wanna look at the chat. Tell me, you guys, what does NPC stand for lately? Think about it. What does NPC stand for? Non-player character. Now I'm gonna tell you something, and I want you to have this in mind as we watch all these um, videos. So they're uh, non-playable characters, right? <laughs> So cholesterol is what responds to an MPC1. This is how cholesterol is processed. There are some people that have been genetically altered to um, not have uh, this receptor, this key that you see on your screen, or I'm explaining it to others. It's like the, the lock mechanism. So when cholesterol, bad cholesterol comes in to your body, um, it gets taken up by a cell. And what happens is it goes into something called a lysosome. And a lysosome, I want you to think of it as a recycling center, right? So it goes in there and then it has to be exported to then be recycled. Well, people that don't have this, and if you don't have a lot of it, or if that gene is silenced, guess what the repercussions are? <laughs> the repercussions are that you're a little bit slower. Um, you can't think, right? And I'm not talking about the genetically, you know, from the get-go. It depends on onset. Infancy, you become, you can't, you know, hit milestones. You have problem developing. If it hits you when you're a kid you know, you're just like really slow, right? So um, people that have this specific molecule hindered, what happens is the cholesterol never comes out and it builds up. Now, if it builds up into your brain cells, your neuronal cells, what happens is you become dumb. You know, you can't remember things. Like it'll take you longer to respond to things. Like I'll tell you, hey, what shape is this? And you know, it's a triangle and you're like, thinking, wait, is it a triangle or so? No, it's called triangle. You can't recall things. Um, you can't remember things and you can't, um, find the words just like for me now. (laughs) So you can't find the words for things because it's a fat that can't 
you know, come out. So it's kind of like you, you have a pillow over your thought process. Think of it that way, like insulation. So that's how Ebola populates. Ebola populates and expands, expresses itself by binding to the same receptor that's necessary to destroy, um, you know, the bad uh, cholesterol that can sit and accumulate in your cells and make you dumb. So I want you to see, um, see the whole process. We're going to look at it. But then I also want you to think, look at all these stupid little outbreaks. Every time they come, they come in a wave where new vaccines are introduced. Now, when the first vaccines were deployed in Africa, do you know what the largest cause of death was? Think about it. It was actually colorectal cancer, right? And, um, they had issues with their um, lipids, so it was like arthrosclerosis, so a lot of them had issues with plaque in their heart, and they would die like that. So that was a vaccine side effect. So what they were doing is they were changing the genetic makeup to silence some of these. And listen, the university will tell you that too. But I'm also going to show you how there's medication for it too. Kind of like, you know, the whole hydroxychloroquine and all that stuff where it's a temporary thing uh, during an outbreak so it can be rectified. Now for me, being someone that is of ill health, right? I'm, I'm just like, I'm not doing it anymore. I believe that my body uh, can uh, accustom itself. I don't know why I all these years I would seek to medicine when the best machine is right here. So I'm hoping that it'll work its own kinks out. I'm, I, this is me. This is me. This isn't like, you know, this is just my choice. Okay. But, um, your body does adapt a lot, but I want you guys to remember this MPC. Is it a coincidence that we're calling dumb people MPC. This is from 2011. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about it. I know it says something else, but someone coined the the, the whole term of the you know non-playable character NPC. So I just wanted to, to point that out. <laughs> Nothing's a coincidence. And it's actually in these membrane-bound compartments, which are like bubbles that pinch off from the plasma membrane of the cell and get kind of carried down this conveyor belt all cells have this protein sitting inside these compartments. And what we found that was so remarkable is that both Ebola and Marburg very specifically need this protein to enter the cytoplasm. The normal function of this protein is to take cholesterol coming into the cell through these so-called endosomes, these membrane-bound compartments, and transport it into the cytoplasm. So it turns out that there's a rare genetic disease in humans where this protein is lost, and these individuals cannot do this cholesterol transport step. So over a long period of time, the cells, especially in the brain, accumulate cholesterol with devastating effects. So we found that um, cells from these patients, these Neiman-Pick disease patients, could not be infected um, by Ebola and Marburg virus, even though they could be infected by lots of other viruses. So it looks like uh, Ebola and Marburg really specifically need this protein as a key to get into the cytoplasm. So our study was published in Nature, and the central message of our study is, first of all, that the NPC1 protein is an absolutely critical key for Ebola and Marburg virus to unlock the cell. If you don't have the NPC1 protein, virus can get all the way from the cell surface to these lysosomal compartments, but it can get out into the cytoplasm, and so the particles accumulate there. And so we think that the NPC1 protein is critical for this very late step that allows the virus to cross the membrane into the cytoplasm. The other key finding is that mice that are genetically engineered 
to express less of the NPC1 protein are substantially resistant to killing by these viruses. Now, they do get sick, but they recover. Um, and remember that we haven't completely gotten rid of this protein. It's still there. So we think that there's a real therapeutic opportunity here because if we could develop a small molecule inhibitor that targets the NPC1 protein, we could reduce its activity and reduce the ability of the virus to um, replicate within the host. By doing so, we buy time for the host to mount an immune response and control the virus. And then we can take the person off the drug after a few weeks when it's not needed any longer. So we also avoid the problem of um, inhibiting this protein over a long period of time, which we know is detrimental to the host. So he's like, can't like take, keep, keep them on it because then it becomes bald. But here's the, here's the thing of um, taking medications to block certain receptors. You become dependent on it. It's kind of like people that, um, you know, take certain medications uh, to regulate things. You know, when they take it, their body becomes dependent on it. And then their body doesn't populate receptors. If you're taking something to reduce receptors in your body at some point, your body will stop making it because it thinks it has too many. And it takes a very long period of time for it to come back and probably not come back. Um, so uh, that's, that's a pretty dangerous thing. Now, I want to show you a video which has been put as it has like this, this channel has over 14 million subscribers and it is explaining the Ebola virus, but it's not explaining it correctly. I want to show you that, but before I do that, I'm going to show you another short video by again, the Albert Einstein college of medicine that was released years after that first one you saw years after, right? This is years after, meaning after it came to the United States and we had a problem. We're talking 2015, four years later, right? So they started investigating it in 2011. And then here's what they said in 2015. The thing that always fascinated me about Ebola, I really got into this actually reading the hot zone, was how this virus, you know, appears out of nowhere, kills a bunch of people, and then just disappears back where it came from without a trace. And we can label it with the ID. So I've been working on Ebola since about 2003. I have to say the part of my job that I love the most is coming into work and hanging out with a bunch of really smart people, getting to engage them about the science we're doing towards our common goal of, of learning more about Ebola and how to combat it and sort of feeding off of their excitement. I'm not saying every day is like that, but you know, that is my favorite part of the job. So you can think of the virus as this burglar that's learned how to break into this really fancy mansion that has lots of security. And it's evolved to exploit the genes and proteins and mechanisms in your own cells. It knows where all the security cameras are. It knows which wires to cut. But here's the thing, each of those potential proteins in your body that are being used by the virus is an Achilles heel that we can target to prevent the virus from infecting you. So this is a, a really classic picture of what Ebola looks like. That's not really how we think about Ebola. We really think of it as this complex molecular machine that's really got two pieces. It's got the payload, which is really the genetic code that allows a virus to take over your cell and turn it into a virus factory. And that code is delivered into the cell by the delivery system, which is the membrane of the virus in which are embedded molecules of this viral protein called the glycoprotein. So together with the membrane, the glycoprotein almost acts like the delivery system of a rocket. Okay, so while you heard that in delivery system, payloads, right? What else do we call payloads? Satellites being deployed, also payloads are 
the technical term that I won't, well, some people use um, in cryptography in how you rewrite things or how you run the script on the back. So RNA is literally a direction, an instruction manual of to build something. RNA demands that something gets um, instructed to do, you, it's, it's a set of instructions to do something. That's basically it. And the RNA instructs your cell to make more viruses. And then they instruct more to make viruses until there's more virus than there is cell, right? And so the membrane and the glycoprotein are the Trojan horse it comes in on to get in there and release the software, kind of like viruses on a computer, hence the identical name. That needs to deliver the payload. If it's going to cleave here, right. why doesn't it cleave here too? I'm going to show you some of the strategies we're using to attack Ebola. But first, I'd like to show you exactly how Ebola infects a cell in your body. First, the virus has to convince your cell to engulf it. Then, the cell takes it up into a membrane-bound compartment called the lysosome. But Ebola actually needs to get out of the lysosome for two reasons. The first reason is that the lysosome is filled with enzymes that can destroy it. But also, the virus has to get into the cytoplasm because that's where all the goodies are that it needs to copy itself. And the way the virus escapes is by fusing its membrane to the membrane of the lysosome. How does the virus know how to do this? So it turns out that the virus is actually receiving signals from your own cells, telling it when it's in the right place and when it's the right time to carry out the fusion reaction. It's almost like a GPS system. And it turns out that one of the most important components of this GPS system is one of your own proteins called NPC1. The virus has evolved to use NPC1 to bind to it and use it as a part of its orienting mechanism that tells it, okay, fuse now. And when that happens, Ebola essentially releases its payload, the genetic material, into the cytoplasm to kick off the replication process. So there are different ways in which we can attack the virus and prevent it from infecting the cell. The first is to go after the, your own cellular machinery that the virus has evolved to exploit. And so we're trying to develop drugs that prevent the virus from binding to NPC1. If we could prevent the virus from using NPC1 in this way, the virus eventually gets ripped to bits inside your lysosome because it can't get out. And this is exactly what we want. The second approach is to actually go after the virus itself. One of Ebola's Achilles heels is its glycoprotein. If we take a closer look, you'll see that the glycoprotein needs to move. It's a highly dynamic structure, almost like a gymnast doing a routine. And so here what you can do is you can create proteins called antibodies the antibodies act like you know, these burly wrestlers that can hold down the arms and legs of the gymnast and prevent them from moving apart. And this is enough to block and kill the virus. So we're actually working closely with John Lai here at Einstein. 13C6 comes straight from the top. Along with a number of scientists all over the world to develop cocktails of these antibodies that could be used to target and have a treatment for all the different strains of Ebola. So our lab doesn't actually study live Ebola. In order to work with live Ebola, you need these high biocontainment facilities, and there's only a few of them in the world. Instead, we take advantage of the fact that the virus is a highly modular entity. We can take a virus that is not harmful, called VSV, and replace its delivery system, its glycoprotein, with the glycoprotein from Ebola. So it has the Ebola delivery system, but its payload is actually this innocuous genetic material of VSV, sort of like a sheep in wolf's clothing. This is a great system to safely study exactly how Ebola invades cells. I then pick up the phone and call my collaborator, John Dai, at USAMRID. 
Did you hear that? So basically what they're creating is a mock virus that's not a virus. So they're genetically replicating the virus, but only the outer shell, you see, so that they can play with it and see what goes on, right? They're taking the receptor. This is very important because this is how you find out how they work. Because do you think that they're going to use live Ebola virus? <laughs> no. Because when you see how Ebola virus attacks the body, you'll be like, oh dear, I don't, oh, this is deadly. And it is because it completes, it, it, it's actually full lysis of your cells. Lysis means like undone, like it's untying the connections of your cells and you just bleed inside, right? And I'm bringing aware this, awareness to you about this because Earlier this year, uh, in 2020, sorry, I spoke about a weird hemorrhagic type fever that broke out and then suddenly went away. And then another one in 2019, two of them actually, one of them in Nigeria, they called it Disease X. I think that's how they label the videos because nobody knows where they come, but they all come after special vaccinations. <laughs> and then, you know, all these bodies die and they disappear. They just disappear and nobody talks about it. So a lot of people still aver of the fact and they keep telling you, oh, it comes from bats and monkeys. And it's like, things don't hop from one species to another. Who did this? Maybe it's in the process of using these virulent strands from monkeys and then creating non-virulent strands, kind of like the way, I don't know, Craig Ventner was like, I'm going to take this really bad, you know, urinary infection bacteria and make it spit out fuel. And I'm going to strip it and genetically change it. And he did. But then when he brought it out into nature, guess what? It was still causing infections, even though it didn't have the genes for it. So now they're giving way that strand that they created that's totally harmless. <laughs> In the laboratory, maybe. But what if that harmless thing accidentally releases itself and comes in contact with him? And it populates within him because we create viruses. Our bodies do. This is why we need to breathe out. We create viruses ourselves endogenously, right? We expel them through our breath. This is why we breathe out, out. Pay attention. Who does have that high biocontainment lab and he can then take the findings that we've made using our VSV surrogate system and then confirm them using the, the live Ebola. I'm actually quite optimistic that there will be treatment or multiple treatments for Ebola in the next five to 10 years. Even from this outbreak, there are some promising potential therapeutics that have come forward. I think there's still a lot of work to do. I think there are lots of ideas, but the development work of really making a therapeutic that's safe, that can be distributed to lots of people, that's highly effective, that can get all of the FDA approvals, um, that's, that's a, a long, hard slog. And you know, I won't say that- Well, we already have that. We already have that. And I'll show you that too, how there is a medication that people take and how it does work. Now, here is what happened in 2014 before we get to the misinformation. I want you to see the outbreak of Ebola and how it spread and what they reported on the news in 2014 about it. Here you go. Patient zero discovered here in Guinea nine months ago. Since then, Ebola's been spreading, slowly at first, more rapidly now. From Guinea, to Liberia, to Sierra Leone, to Nigeria, to Senegal. 
The death rate for those suffering the illness is running at about 50%, and those numbers are starting to grow exponentially. Estimates say 5,800 are now infected. Some forecasts suggest that could grow to 1.4 million by January. Hmm. What's going on in Guinea that it only breaks out there all the time? I mean, the new outbreak just a couple days ago, again in Guinea. I mean, what's going on? Why is it only that area where we see it? Who's giving them Ebola? <laughs> Who is giving them Ebola? I mean, could it possibly be the vaccine? I don't know. Here's, some, here's a misinformation video where it totally simplifies, apparently, and it calls it Ebola virus explained. But the way it explains it is completely erroneous because you just heard from the Albert Einstein University in plain English. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, decrypting to happen, how it works. But here's what they're telling the people how it works. What makes Ebola so dangerous? How can a virus overwhelm the very complex defense system of the body so quickly and so effectively? Let's take a look at what Ebola does. Ebola is a virus. A virus is a very small thing. A bit of RNA or DNA and a few proteins in a hull. It has no ability to do anything by itself whatsoever and can only survive and proliferate by infecting cells. To avoid this, we have the immune system. The immune system is super complex, so we developed a visual system that makes it easy to understand. So it looks like this. Let's concentrate on the part that's critical to understanding Ebola and ignore the rest. So, usually, dendritic cells would activate an army of antivirus cells, support cells and antibody factories that would, together with the guard cells, wipe out the infection in a matter of days. But when Ebola strikes, it directly attacks the immune system. Some of the first cells it takes over are the dendritic cells, the brains of the immune system. The Ebola virus enters a dendritic cell by binding onto receptors for cell transport. Once it's inside, it dissolves its outer hull and releases its genetic material, nuclear proteins and enzymes. In a nutshell, it takes over the cell, disables the cell's protective mechanisms and reprograms it. The cell now becomes a virus production machine and uses its resources to build Ebola viruses. Once the cell is saturated, it dissolves the cell membrane and millions of viruses are released into the tissue. The virus not only prevents the dendritic cell from activating the specialized antivirus forces, it manipulates it into sending signal proteins that trick the specialized cells into ending their own lives prematurely. So the immune system is seriously disrupted and unable to react, while the virus rapidly multiplies. We're talking billions. There are cells that should deal with infected cells, the natural killer cells, but they also get infected and just die before they can prevent the disease from spreading. At the same time, Ebola infects the guard cells of the body, macrophages and monocytes. Not only managing to circumvent their defenses, it also manipulates them to signal to the cells that make up the blood vessels, telling them to release fluids into the body. I'm going to stop right there. So we know it's a blood-borne virus. It doesn't go for your immune system first. Your immune system constantly fails. Your immune system is trained in your gut. And what happens with the bleeding part, just so you understand, your liver is the one that releases certain proteins um, and enzymes in order to ensure coagulation 
right? To keep the integrity of blood um, and for blood to go into certain places and the integrity of cells. So Ebola targets the liver, the spleen first, because it's a bloodborne virus, meaning that it goes within the blood to do this. And this is why these things are deactivated. This is complete misinformation. It's telling it backwards so that people think that they're helpless and they have no immunity. They do. And this is why not all strains of, of Ebola are dangerous. Usually this makes sense, but in this case, it just causes mayhem. All over the body, neutrophils are activated, awoken by the virus and the macrophages signals. They're not very effective against viruses and should not be involved in this fight and begin to do lots of stuff they shouldn't do. The neutrophils signal the blood vessels to release more fluid, causing internal bleeding. Another area of the body Ebola attacks is the liver. The virus finds it very easy to enter the liver and it quickly starts killing loads of liver cells and causing organ failure and more internal bleeding. And all of see more misinformation. Do you know why it goes to the liver and all of these things? Because that is where we have accumulation. Okay, so when it goes through the, the blood cells, when it goes through your body, it goes to where fat is stored and processed. Where is that mostly done? The liver. Hello. That's why it goes there. If only they can simplify this, because this is just pure fear porn. It's just going to come over and take over you. I'm just saying. Like, this is super misinformation. I mean, I can't even watch this anymore because I don't want to be promoting <laughs> discombobulated information. We could see the scientists. Now, you're going to see how this ties back to Biden and why uh, his administration coming in now um, as supposedly the elected one was important for the cabal. And you'll understand it fully because we're going to walk through this memory lane. But before we do that, I want us to take a look at the cure for Ebola in without um, talking about Ebola, without talking about Ebola. So Tori is going to tell you, kind of like I told you about hydroxychloroquine, right? How you cure Ebola <laughs> without a vaccine. Here you go. Isitimibe. Isitimibe is chemically a beta-lactam drug, but it is not a beta-lactam antibiotic. And it is having the following structure. We can observe in this structure the central ring is the beta lactam ring. Why it is called as beta lactam? We can observe that the carbonyl group is present. To this carbonyl group, this is the alpha carbon and this is the beta carbon. So to this beta carbon, a nitrogen is attached in the form of a cyclic amide. So it is called as beta lactam. Now, this beta-lactam is the central ring to which the other rings are attached. To this nitrogen, para-fluorophenyl ring is attached. And at the beta portion, para-hydroxyphenyl ring is attached. At alpha portion, 3-hydroxypropyl side chain is present, which is further attached with a para-fluorophenyl ring system. In this way, the SDMIB is having a large structure, but the central one is the beta-lactam ring. This beta-lactam ring is also considered as a heterocyclic ring with, with four-member ring system. Since it is having the nitrogen, so we can call it as aza. And because it is a four-member ring system, we can call with a suffix etine, but it is saturated, so the suffix is etidine plus ketone on the ring, so a suffix with one. So the complete name of this ring is the aza plus etidine plus one, that is the Agitated in 2 on.
here we have to start the numbering from this uh, nitrogen so ketone is present at the second position so the name of this ring is the azididine 2o so azidine belongs to the chemical class of azididine 2o which is responsible for the controlling the absorption of the cholesterol okay so why are now we watching how this? This hold on hold on hold on acts. listen i wanted you guys to watch that it was painful but why is it important what did we know that the npc1 is for cholesterol right so why are you going to change the genetic information of the cholesterol within your cells when you can do it upon absorption meaning it is going to go through your bloodstream anyway here's 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 where it's going he's going to show it to you i'll show you how this medicine works kind of like hydroxychloroquine so suppose this is the small intestine and from the diet what is the cholesterol that is going to reach into the intestine is going to be absorbed through the brush border of the intestine and some of the cholesterol can also be secreted into the intestine through the biliary secretion where this cholesterol is again absorbed along with the dietary cholesterol now on the brush border of the small intestine a receptor is present that what we call the npc1l1 this npc1l1 is responsible for the absorption of the cholesterol through the brush border of the small intestine now both the dietary cholesterol as well as this biliary cholesterol can bind through this npc1l1 receptors and they can be transported through the brush border of the small intestine now once this cholesterol is absorbed so i wanted to show you this so the npc1l1 is the transport system to take cholesterol into a cell this is going through the intestinal cells right to be incorporated cholesterol is very general we have a lot we have vldl vhdl hdl ldl ldl is the bad cholesterol just so you know and that's why if you don't have receptors in your lysosomes for mpc1 which is i want you to think of mpc1l1 as like you know the um, the the gateway to get into the cell right that's what it is mpc1 is to once it's in the cell here's where we degrade it or use it this is how your body takes up vitamins and stuff like that it goes into your body enzymes digest it and whatever's good comes out of it so ldl for example bad cholesterol when it gets into your cells and it comes in and it gets encapsulated in that lysosome it'll start to get degraded and then it'll come out and when it comes out it doesn't have information so it'll parse and pick what it wants and that's how ldl is destroyed so this is why lipids are there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol if you can't get rid of your bad cholesterol meaning you don't have an npc1 or you have an hindered npc1 right and it can't come out then you get arthrosclerosis and whatnot now look at this medication it's not an antibiotic right it's talking about the uptake of cholesterol and what do we know about ebola it uses the same stupid train so if it's still using the same stupid train why are we trying to change the genetic information when we can do what this medicine does absorbed then it is going to be converted into cholesterol esters by the lcat enzyme then this cholesterol ester is then going to be transported within the body as the chylomicrons chylomicrons are the first uh, transporters which are going to transport the cholesterol within the body this cholesterol then can be stored into the liver as well as it can be also be secreted in as the vldl and finally it can be distributed within the plasma mainly as the ldl cholesterol and some of the cholesterol can also be coming out of the tissues as the hdl cholesterol
So for all of these, the absorption of the cholesterol is mediated by NPC1L1 receptors. And now this AZTMI is going to inhibit these receptors, thereby it inhibits the absorption of the cholesterol from the intestine. And this AZTMI not only inhibits this cholesterol absorption, it also inhibits the cytosterol absorption, thereby it inhibits the both the absorption of the cholesterol and the cytosterols within the diet. So basically, it inhibits the ability for cholesterol to be transported into the cell because it inhibits the movement of this little stupid bus called the MPC1L1. That's the type of stuff that you can use for Ebola. I'm just saying. Receptors. <laughs> he's, but he's explaining it really well. I mean, this is something that, that is, you know, incredible when you watch videos put together like this. Because he's even saying what kind of therapy you can get. Look, if you combine it with statins, I'm just going to tell you because he talks about that. Um, you know, it can cause hem hemorrhaging. Just so you know, it's not recommended. <laughs> But um, this is how you treat arthrosclerosis or people that have MPC1 deficiencies, meaning that they're genetically screwed and they can't get rid of lipids. They take this medication so that they're better. So now here's where it gets fine. So now I've shown you a solution. We have the problem. We have a solution. But for some reason, they just keep experimenting with vaccines in Africa. I mean, here's what they had to say on that, too. I want you to listen to what... Um, the people are talking about the vaccine in 2018. Football on this field, but there's no time for games in Beni. The city has a public health emergency on its hands. The Ebola outbreak has swept through this part of Congo and the community's only treatment center is overwhelmed. So NGO, MSF, is going to build another one in a week. The, the current treatment center is overrun. Uh, they've been adding capacity uh, every week. They went from 40 beds to 50 to 60. And I don't think anyone really expected that things would move this quickly in Benny. So what we're doing right now is really trying to play catch up with the epidemic. Last month, officials said this outbreak was almost over, but their confidence was misplaced. Instead, it will soon rank as this country's worst Ebola epidemic, with a multinational team now struggling to contain it. This is a really difficult area to operate in. The city is overpopulated, hosting tens of thousands displaced by war. And the local population is wary. They just don't trust anything the government says or does. We joined a decontamination team as they searched for a house on the city's eastern side. A woman who lived in this outbuilding has been diagnosed with Ebola and team members have come to sanitize or destroy her things. Her husband now worries he has it too. <laughs> Tomorrow, another group will turn up with an experimental vaccine, and the entire neighborhood, including Mr. Mackenzie, will be asked to take it. The vaccine is administered by special teams who track down people who've had contact with Ebola victims, then administer the dose. So it hasn't been approved by the health authorities, but early trials show it's effective. Still, there are many here who have refused it.
ça va te tuer, ça va te faire ceci, ça a beaucoup d'effets et tout. That's one reason why this outbreak is so unpredictable. Some even claim the vaccine is satanic. Some of your neighbors have said no. No, it's, it's the work yeah. Really? That's, that's those people. Those people. They are coming to kill us. Can't receive the people with the vaccine. Yeah, satanic. That's quite frightening. That's quite scary that people think that. Ah. There's another reason why this outbreak is so difficult to control. Benny is in a war zone. The Congolese army has dug itself in on the city's outskirts after frequent incursions by rebel militias. The head of the World Health Organization says he's never dealt with an epidemic so complex. The situation where we have this outbreak is very different from previous outbreaks, even the West Africa outbreak, because there is a serious security problem here. There is armed conflict here, active and that uh, complicates uh, the situation. The risk is clear. In a desperately unstable environment, the Ebola virus spreads and the Beni outbreak becomes an international epidemic. Now, let me tell you something, that was 2018, right? Do you know what happened after they made all those um, contamination facilities and stuff? Well, just so you know, control of virus is highest in the Congo, and specifically in Beni, I'm just saying. So this is just one thing, and all of you are like, okay, well, why are we visiting Ebola? Wait, it gets better. Here's how you're going to know before we go out to the break where we're going with it, if you guys remember this. And um, I'll just allow the person to introduce themselves. This is a... Um, Congress. Oh, no, 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 no. Not that one. Excuse me. Um, let's keep it short. Let's watch CBS's report from October 17th. President Barack Hussein Obama points an Ebola tar. What? Yeah. Take a listen to this. Response to Ebola is leading President Obama to consider it a so-called czar. That person would oversee efforts to contain the virus. Until now, some reporters wondered who's in charge. So the you're, point you're interrupting is, me because you, you feel like you have a point to make, but you understand my question. Well, no, there, I, I think the point that I have to make is directly you relevant. You seem to be reluctant to say who's in charge of the federal response to Ebola. Jim, I think that I'm uh, reciting very clearly to you who specifically is responsible for which activities when it comes to this government's tenacious response to Ebola. So, so there's, not, there's not one person in charge. Uh, well, I think that there are individuals who are the there are individuals who are directly responsible for their line of responsibility. Our Dr. David Agus is here. Good morning. You can understand why there's so much confusion here about who's in charge. Why don't we know at this point? Well, it's a very difficult question. You know, the CDC is supposedly in charge, but they have no authority over individual hospitals. There are 5,000 hospitals and 2,500 public health departments in the country. And our country's constitution says states are in charge of health, not the federal government. So do we need a czar? You know, Obama for days said, we don't need a czar. There's no need. Now, all of a sudden, the tune is changing. And I think we do. You know, we're getting such mixed messages. There was new data that came out last night showing that at 21 days, when we said the incubation period is over, you're free, 12% of people, up to 12%, can actually still have symptoms after 21 days. So we're told one thing, and then the data are showing another. We're told as if it's black and white, and most of the time, it's not clear data. So we need real leadership to get behavior change. 
And we know Amber Vincent, the nurse uh, who traveled from Texas to Ohio, may have been ill. She reported the fever to the CDC. It was only 99.5. Now you have schools in Ohio and Texas shut down. Uh, you have the crews that were on board those planes. They have three weeks of, of paid lead. Do you think that's prudent or unnecessary panic? You know, I think it's, this is way overblown in many sense, is that the relative risk to each of us is near zero. The risk of us getting the flu is thousands of fold higher than this, obviously. In a good year, 3,000 people die from the flu. In a bad year, 50,000 people. Mm. And obviously, single digits have died from Ebola. That being said, because of the indecision, because nobody really knows what information is real and they're told different things every day, it creates enormous stress. It's similar to the anthrax scare after 9-11, where nobody knew what was going on and there was tremendous stress across the country. Okay, but in terms of Ebola, it's not new. Why do we know so little? And why is there so much confusion over days and when it's okay to travel and all of that? Well, it's new to our country. And so it was in Africa. It would hit a village and the village was small and it would wipe out the village. Now Africa's urbanized. So it hit a city and pow. And this is really the first time we're seeing it grow exponentially. And at the same time, viruses change. And so the virus of today is different than the virus of last year, is different than the virus of last month even. Mm -hmm. And so the virus has always changed. We're slowly learning about these. This is new science. This needs leadership to calm the country and at the same time develop a plan so that we're not all going to be in trouble here and take care of Africa. Because at the rate of growth in Africa, it's going to be a million deaths by the end of January if it doesn't stop. I think one of the things that's so stunning is we feel like we're unprepared, even though, as Charlie said, this isn't new. And we know these two nurses have been moved to these kind of high-risk decontamination units, but there's not enough of these units across the country. Is that the problem? Well, there are four of these units with about Let's 20 beds. It. That is nothing. You know, I'm at one of the largest hospitals in the country. And to prepare for Ebola, I get an email. You know, this is what you need to do. Well, I, you know, obviously, I'm not going to be on the front lines of it as a cancer doctor. But we need to start to train many centers across the country to handle a larger volume of patients because we're all scared. We're told every hospital can handle it. Mm -hmm. And then we're seeing these nurses flown to Georgia, flown to Washington, because obviously they couldn't handle it in Dallas, one of the biggest cities in the country. Unbelievable. Thanks, Dr. Agus. Great to talk to you this morning. You know what they missed? Damn it. I could have sworn it was on that video, but I guess it wasn't. It was who phones was in touch with a Democrat. Oops, I can't play that yet. I can't play that. Give me a second. I wanted to um, show you who the SAR is. Are you kidding? Where is it? Did I like lose it? Hold on. I'll find it for you. It's actually a Turks video, believe it or not. Young Turks. I think I might have closed it by accident. Mm. Where is it? There we go. Here we go. Okay, so this is um, where they um, talk. Hold on. Okay, whom President Obama appointed. Okay. Fox News contributed to listen to this. This is, see, they started talking about creating these contamination centers, right? They started talking about all of these things, but now you need to listen to this. Of course, named the Ebola czar and that individual's Ron Klain 
And of course, Republicans are not happy with this Ebola czar, even though they were the ones that were continuously pushing the Obama administration to have more of a reaction toward the Ebola epidemic in West Africa and the few cases here in the United States. Now, the Republicans aren't happy with this individual because they feel that his lack of medical background is a big downfall, except, of course, there's a lot of hypocrisy in this story, and we're going to pointed out to you in just a second. Now, first, some of the criticism. Uh, Marsha Blackburn said the following. We were hopeful we were going to have someone who had the experience, not only from the medical community, but an emergency response. So that was what she said on Face the Nation. That's what's important. You know, I'm with Marsha Blackburn. I, and I know she's been consistent on this, and all the Republicans have. If you're going to have someone responding to a medical situation, it should be a doctor. I love this. All right. Okay. So Ted Cruz had, had a similar uh, criticism. He said, Mr. Klain is not a doctor. He's not a healthcare professional. He doesn't have background in these issues. Okay. Yeah, Goddamn right, Ted right. Cruz. Except here's a little bit of a problem. Hmm. Uh, when the bird flu situation was big during the Bush administration, he appointed what was essentially a bird flu czar. And that guy kind of didn't have a medical background either. And Republicans, conservatives, the conservative media didn't really have much to say about that. In 2004, Bush's bird flu czar was Stuart Simonson. He worked as an assistant secretary of health and human services for public health emergency preparedness. And although he had no medical experience or expertise in public health, he did enjoy a noted career as a Republican political insider. Hold on for a second. Let, let, excuse me for a second, please. Excuse me for a second. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Bush's bird man, and that's what he would have called him. You remember when he called his budget director? Budget man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the only time he did it, okay? <laughs> my budget man. I kind of miss him. I got to be yeah. honest. So my bird man is not really a doctor, do not have any medical experience, okay? Never done anything about that, but now I, I, need, I need a savvy public and political insider for this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, the reaction was non-existent. Everybody's right. like, oh, good way to go, Bushy. Way to be. Oh. All right. So now that you know that, now you're going to understand why we did this so you can understand how it comes full circle. Let's go back to Greg. Let's go back to Greg and listen to that remaining report. Just listen to this. Knock your socks off. Okay, you ready? Two years ago, as you pointed out, when I last spoke in Munich, I was a private citizen. I was a professor, not an elected official. Oh, bringing that up, professor, not an elected official. That's right. Did you see how he talked about Munich? Okay, yeah, he called himself a professor. But what have I talked about that Munich conference in 2019? If you remember correctly, I told you I heard the whole thing. That's where they planned his run. That's where he was reluctant to run. That's where he sat with Yovanovitch and had a conversation. This is where their whole plan was laid out. This is how they colluded with the labor unions. This is how they colluded with the UN and the WHO. This is where the conversations happened in Munich. But anyway, let's continue. Listen to what else. Right. It was just former vice president, now a professor, Joe Biden, right? Ordinary professor Joe. He made a million dollars from the University of Pennsylvania for some ridiculous, very light speaking gig where he would drop by the university occasionally. And there he is calling himself a uh, university professor. A lot of reasons why they're keeping Joe under wraps. He's got a lot of issues. Here's the guy really in charge. We talked about him before. His name is Ron Klain. 
He's been in the swamp for a very, very long time. He's worked for many Democrat presidents. But right now, a lot of folks feel that Joe Biden is working for Ron Klain. Now, who was Ron Klain? He was the one that took over the Ebola thing. And you remember the nurses that survived Ebola? That's because they got the not lethal Ebola, the one from a lab Ebola. You know, the Ebola that they make so they can test shit that doesn't get you sick? Yeah, that one. So look at how we take a trip down memory lane and we see this guy, Ron Klain, who Barack Hussein and Obama appointed to take point on Ebola. Oh, shoot. Do you know who else he worked for? He was a staffer for Gore and a staffer for guess who? Biden. So now you see it come full circle. See, I've been seeing it from the moon. I'm showing it to you now wrapped up in a tiny little bow. Greg's like, oh, looks like Biden's working for him. You have to think, who's Ron Klain? That's how powerful this person is. All right, so what's happened? <sighs> Something weird. There's just an odd, drifty feel to it all. I don't see Joe Biden as being in charge, but there are things happening behind the scenes. Immigration, China. They want the folks to come up legally or illegally from down south. They do. When we see that, we see, hey, this is a problem. Uh, <laughs> that looks pretty chaotic. Uh, we don't want all those people coming here, right? I mean, it's got to be done orderly and legally. Democrats, especially Democrat leadership, they see potential voters. And on the right, we see oppression of the Uyghurs in China. That is real. And we all know Donald Trump was very, very tough on China. Not Joe Biden. Not Joe Biden. Behind the scenes, they are making changes. And sometimes when those things actually come out to the forefront, it's shocking how clueless they are. Like when John Kerry talked about all the solar power jobs that are awaiting the employees just fired from the Keystone Pipeline. The solar power that failed uh, when snowfall came. So we're going to take a short break, but I want you guys to digest that. Digest the fact that uh, the guy who led who was supporting the Birdman of Bush, worked under Gore, was Biden's staffer, then was appointed by Obama to head up the Ebola thing, which created precedent to be giving full power to the CDC and the WHO. That's who did it. That's right. Ron Klein, right? And now he's in charge of Biden. Makes sense, huh? That's how they work. See, full circle. Full circle. See you all in just a bit. Oh! Just a little bit of ah, ah, with a little bit of ah, ah. Just a little bit of ah, ah, with a little bit of ah, ah. Just a little bit of ah, ah, with a little bit of ah, ah. I was like, good gracious, ass is bullfishes. Flirtatious, child, the show fishes. Waiting for the right time to shoot my sleeves. Waiting for the right time to flash them keys. Please believe in uh, being the race of my heathen. Checking out like in the top of the fall season. Pet house rooftop birds I'm feeding. Love to sleep, love to sleep. Uh, don't tease it. I need you to get up, up on the dance floor. Get up that body asking for. Cause I feel like busting loose and I feel like touching you. I can't nobody stop the juice. So, baby, tell me what's the juice. I say it's getting hot. So hot. So take your phone. I am getting so hot. I wanna take my phone. 
Yeah, so it's really getting hot in here, and they're pulling down their pants bound real, real quick. You know, there's a lot of people out there that I've been seeing, oh my gosh, I wonder what they threaten the Supreme Court justices with to rule like this. Stop. No one threatened them. No one threatened them. If they've been planning this with Ron Klain for so long, you think that there hasn't been a counter-operation planned either? They know, we know, and we know, they know. So it's all about facing each other and saying, well, you already know that you lost, so you're just letting the clock tick, tick, tick. It can't change the outcome. The outcome will not change. It has already started globally, and they are hoping the only way that this can be stopped for them, delayed because it'll just happen again, right? is with the people feeling so demoralized that they sit there and they're just like, oh, I just, whatever, I just don't care anymore. And I'm going to protest and not vote. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter if you vote or not. Um, It doesn't matter because it doesn't count. So if you, tomorrow we'll go through what Justice Thomas put down and we'll walk through what he said. You cannot stop what's coming. We already know the outcome. You can drag your feet. You can foam at the mouth. You can throw a tantrum in the aisle. Nobody gives a shit. It's still going to happen. And so I am giving you exactly what you need to understand that look at this from 89, 89, right? To today, how it comes full circle. Because what you missed and weren't paying attention to was this the coronavirus crisis that is facing our nation americans are concerned hundreds of americans are sick sadly there are families mourning the loss of loved ones from the coronavirus and our hearts are with them the nation is seeing cases on the rise and experts say the outbreak is getting worse in new jersey we were just informed that we had our first death from coronavirus. Hold on. Let me fast and forward this so you can listen to the good part. Closing for coronavirus this preparation. is where they're crying. We have seen an increase. Everything's in max. Here we go. Service was the White House Ebola response coordinator during the Obama administration and can provide lessons learned from his time battling uh, a previous public health emergency. We also welcome today uh, Mr. Christopher Newworth, the Assistant Commissioner of the Division of Public Health Infrastructure Laboratories and Emergency Preparedness for this New Jersey's Department of Health. Only separation you are leading in Mississippi. I'm proud you have joined us today for this hearing and look forward to hearing your remarks. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. And thank the gentleman. Uh, without objection, witnesses' full statements will be inserted into the record. I now ask each witness to summarize his or her statement for five minutes. Now take a look. Listen carefully. Time today, uh, beginning with Mr. Kling. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member King. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Before I begin, I'd like to make two preliminary points. First, as frustrating as it may be, there's still a great deal we do not know about the coronavirus and the disease it causes. In fact, we know less about the coronavirus today than we did about Ebola in 2014. Scientists are working at breakneck speed to improve our understanding, but as we learn more, our response to the virus will have to change. Secondly, 
While I am a political partisan, I come here today in the same way that I approached my tenure as White House Ebola Response Coordinator, putting politics aside. There is no Democratic or Republican approach to fighting infectious disease, only sound and unsound measures. It doesn't mean demurring, calling out failures where they appear. I have been critical of many aspects of the administration's response to the coronavirus. Likewise, I've praised other steps that the administration has taken. Putting politics aside does not, putting judge, does not mean putting judgment aside. Those two preliminary points made, I want to move on to how we can use the lessons we learned in the Ebola response to approach the current threat. To be clear, the Ebola response itself was not without problems and mistakes, but ultimately President Obama mustered an all-of-government response to the challenge, authorized the first ever deployment of U.S. troops to combat an epidemic, and appointed me to lead a team of talented and dedicated professionals at the White House to coordinate the effort. In the end, that epidemic was tragic, 11,000 people or more died in West Africa. But in September of 2014, there was a forecast that a million lives would be lost. America's actions as part of a global response saved hundreds of thousands of lives. The ongoing legacy of this work is enormous. With Congress's support, we implemented a national four-tier network of hospitals and medical facilities that remain prepared to this day to identify, isolate, and treat cases of dangerous infectious diseases. Nothing like that existed in 2014 before we started, and uh, work on vaccines and therapeutics as well. Now, the challenge we face from the coronavirus epidemic is different in many ways, but it contains some similarities. And so I think it's worth thinking about the lessons that can be applied in this case. First, in a complex, rapidly involving scenario like we're seeing, there's no substitute for White House coordination and leadership. At the end of my tenure as Ebola response coordinator, President Obama accepted my recommendation to create a permanent pandemic preparedness and response operation inside the National Security Council that continued through the first year of the Trump administration, but in July of 2018, that unit was disbanded. The administration's decision now to go through a series of different structures, first no task force, then a task force led by Secretary Azar, then a task force led by Vice President Pence, then Ambassador Burks coordinating the response has produced uneven results and certainly has contributed to the largest fiasco in the U.S. response the failure to promptly enable widespread testing for the virus, which definitely is a result of some lack of coordination between CDC and FDA. So this is him talking about the coronavirus response and how horrible it is. And now he would have done a really way better job, of course. So now I want you to travel back in time with me and just a, a minute or two, listen to this Ron Klain. Uh talking at Harvard in 2018, and uh, it's a lecture, okay? It's a lecture, and guess what the lecture's titled? I'll let you see it, actually. It's quite interesting. Outbreak Week, Preventing Epidemics. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm keynote speaker. Okay. So Ron Klain is our keynote speaker for the lunchtime, and Ron is... Uh, Executive Vice President and General Counsel for Revolution uh, LLC. But what he really has been has been somebody who's been deeply involved in running of our federal government for a long time. He's been Chief of Staff um, for both Vice President Biden as well as Vice President Gore. And then in 2014, as the Ebola um, outbreak in West Africa was raging as Ebola was coming to Dallas. And um, there was a sense that government's response was not as optimal as it could be. 
All right, so we're going to stop it there because the juice of what I wanted you to hear was who he is because people are denying it. And before I show you that, let's just look at uh, what HuffPo had to say when Biden announced him. Take a listen to this. Hold on. Gosh, it's one of those not talking videos. Gosh darn it. So I'll read it to you. Who's Biden's chief of staff? President-elect Joe Biden has chosen Ronald Klain to serve as White House Chief of Staff. Klain is a longtime Biden advisor who was his top aide in 1980s when Biden chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's worked with nearly every top Democrat within the last 30 years. At age 31, he helped lead President Bill Clinton's team to confirm Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the Supreme she was Court. an extremely well-known and well-respected federal judge. It would have been more been impossible to consider constructing a list without her name on it. He has twice worked as chief of staff to the vice president, once for Al Gore and once for Biden. During the 2014 Ebola outbreak, President Barack Obama appointed clean the Ebola SAR, a move that Dr. Anthony Fauci praised at the time. He's a highly experienced, highly talented manager. He will be coordinating the interactions among a multi-agency endeavor that are involved, each of which have their own responsibility. So the reason is we need coordination, mm -hmm. and I think Ron is going to do a terrific job on that. Klain's management of the crisis was lauded with former senior Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett saying, I believe that Ron Klain is the reason we did not have an Ebola epidemic in the United States. In 2018, Klein warned that the nation should be scared of a pandemic under President, President Donald Trump. Anti-science. He trades in attacking experts. He trades in conspiracy theories. All those things would lead to the loss of many lives in the event of an epidemic in the United States. Sounds like they the planned it. Not to trade in conspiracy theories. Not to believe that the news was fake, but to respect scientific expertise. Klein used his experience to point out the Trump administration's coronavirus mismanagement. Back in 2015, when I finished serving as White House Ebola response coordinator, I urged President Obama and Vice President Biden to set up a permanent White House pandemic prevention response office so we'd be ready for the next one. They did, and that office was doing a great job. But in 2018, Donald Trump abolished that office. Moderate and progressive Democrats known and praised the choice of Klein, who is known as highly confident. I look forward to helping him and the vice president-elect assemble a talented and diverse team to work in the White House as we tackle the rubbish that we created. <laughs> they didn't say that. I did. So this is who, welcome, welcome, by the way, to being able to see the actual deep state. There's one of your members. Those that lie in the shadow. But, you know, you don't have much of a shadow when people talk a lot. We should take a look into this. What's this? What is it that we're going to look into? I don't know. Some company called Revolution. Revolution LLC. What do they do? Hiring outside of Silicon Valley. Rise. The rise of the rest story. Reset. Rest. Rise. Okay, thanks. Here's their team. Look what they do. What makes them unique and amazing? You know, whose company is this again? Do you remember? Right. That's Ron Klein, right? The, the Harvard guy introduced him as the person that has this venture company, um, Revolution LLC. These are, this person does not exist.com. Okay. Let's see what else they do. Here's their news. 
Stay up to date with Revolution and our portfolio of companies. Latest announcements. Announcements what? Books. Corner Store. Back to the Roots. Rise of the Rest. Hmm. My gosh, I'm sneezing like crazy today. Let's see. Where are their ventures? This is where we start need uh, we start to uh, uh, to the need to start looking at um, what they're doing. What regions are they working on? This will be interesting. Let's take a look. Can we look at the regions? Can we see what they're doing? No, we don't. We we don't want to show it. Let's see. Groupon, Aura, Member Suite, Sub, Home Snap. What are they doing? Do you guys have any idea what these people are doing aside from giving people money? Sounds like a money laundering operation. Because a lot of these things look weird. Zendu. Hmm. Stored. What's stored? Warehousing and distribution. Oh, wait a minute. Are they the ones that had the FEMA coffins? I'm trying to remember. Were they the ones with the... <clears throat> oh, look at that. Do you know what that is? Does anybody know what clear is? Do you know what that is? So you know how we get TSA preed, right? You get TSA preed. Well, this one at the airports is they check your iris and they scan you and you actually skip the line. So your iris allows you the opportunity to uh, pass and skip the line. But do you see what the, the, the title here is? Partner Manager in Health Pass Integrations. What does that tell you? So this pandemic data that they've been collecting on everyone in the airports through clear, right? They're creating something called a health pass. They're even hiring for this position today. <laughs> health pass. Have you been vaccinated? Have you been tested? Take the vaccine. Guess who owns this company? All right. Biden's chief of staff. Oh, did he give it up before he went into the chief of staff? I don't know. Can someone tell me that? Because he's nowhere on there, but we just recorded it and we have it forever and ever and ever that he was introduced as the person who's the keynote speaker that has this company. What is this? Mm, healthcare for clear? That's really weird. I thought they were about security. I thought they were about security. You go in, no crowd, no waiting, keep moving at over 65 airports. Defining and leading an entirely new industry, moving quickly with data-informed decisions, obsessing over customers and investing great people to lead the way. This is the one where you'll see it in the airport. There's a line that you can go and wait in line to get, you know, raped by TSA. And then you can skip the line of waiting and just go directly to the rape part, right? <laughs> where you like strip and give all your stuff and walk through uh, the machine. Clear does that. So I want to ask you something. Why do they have health pass integrations? Are we going to be having papers to say that we're vaccinated? Is this what the Biden administration is doing? Revolution LLC, Health Pass Integration. See, this is where it comes full circle and you understand that they don't give a shit about you. If your vote actually mattered, you wouldn't even be allowed to vote. Let's make that clear. Because they have a plan and you're not in it. The only part you play is to be their commodity. So again, how do you beat them at their own game? Obviously, you can see this coming. You can see it coming at you. You can see what's happening. You're seeing it. What do you do? 
all your people. Why don't you start looking at the portfolios of the people that represent you and see how many of them are invested in this company? Because you know, the numbers don't add up. Look at this recent report. Pretty weird, isn't it? It's kind of super weird, actually. Um, how the numbers in Florida and California share the same, but California has been on lockdown super hard. California and Florida have vastly different lockdown policies, but their virus numbers paint a similar picture. NTD's Christina Kim takes a closer look. Florida and California are on opposite coasts and have had largely opposite lockdown approaches. So when it comes to the pandemic, you wouldn't expect many similarities between the two, but take a look at their cases. According to the CDC, Florida has a total of 1.8 million cases. Adjusting this for population, this means over 8,400 cases per 100,000 people. There are 136 deaths per 100,000. Let's look at California. California has a total of 3.4 million cases. Putting this into context, it's 8,600 cases per 100,000 people and 120 deaths per 100,000. Johns Hopkins University data shows the number of cases as a percentage of the population. California's is roughly 8.8%, while Florida's is around 8.3%. Appearing on MSNBC Live, White House COVID-19 advisor Andy Slavitt was asked why California's numbers aren't that different from Florida, even though California is, quote, basically in lockdown. Look, there's so much of this virus that we think we understand, that we think we can predict, that's just beyond a little bit beyond our explanation. California has been one of the strictest states since the pandemic. Governor Gavin Newsom implemented stay-at-home orders, limiting gatherings and shutting down businesses. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis has taken a different approach. After issuing a lockdown order in April, DeSantis opened up, saying, quote, no lockdowns, no fines, no school closures. Slavitt didn't give any further explanation on why the states have similar virus trends, but he says that more masking, social distancing, and vaccines will lessen the spread and make the virus go away quicker. The White House advisor notes that variants make things harder to predict. Christina Kim, NTD News. An Oregon teacher's training program says math has elements of white supremacy and racism. NTD's Christina Kim explores the Marxist origins of this ideology and the details of this, quote, anti-racist training program. Oregon's education department is promoting... A <laughs> I ought to end it with humor. Come on, you guys. This is so crazy. ...racist math practice. The program is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and partners with many education and math organizations. According to the toolkit, teachers must work to, quote, dismantle white supremacy in math classrooms by visibilizing toxic characteristics of white supremacy. This is talking about injecting into a hard science ideas of oppression and supremacy. And as critical theory does, uh, it takes this notion of uh, the postmodern notion of really no absolute truth and sort of sprinkling that through. You know, I really wish that there was a word for this word. It's called didifiogos in Greek with this stupid bow tie. I want to, come on guys, seriously. Is this for real? Math is now racist. Numbers are now racist. Not only are they trying to make people stupid, with their vaccines, which they've achieved. We've got autism going crazy. You know, we've got a lot of ADD. We've got teachers that are teaching math that makes them stupider, not smarter. And now it's racist. <laughs> I mean, and you know, another funny thing is this Ebola thing. Um, 
I just wanted to say in this COVID, you know how they say it's racist? It's because it has to do with um, genetic traits um, that people that have increased melanin have reduced number of receptors for specific things. So it's not racist. You guys were just testing shit in Africa and most of them have melanin and that's why it's highly specific. I just wanted to make that clear, right? It's not bats and monkeys. We got stuff from bats and monkeys and then made them benign so we can check them, right? When you guys realize that this whole election, right, didn't matter. It really didn't matter. Every election didn't matter. The only one that actually didn't matter was 2016 because someone cut the cable. <laughs> they were pissed. You know, everybody thinks it's Mossad and it wasn't. Um, but they're pissed. Uh, you know, it's just snip, snip, tick, tick. Because hopefully within those four years, that snip, snip would have led to a big way of let's fix this. But instead, the president was surrounded by all these snakes. You had him in a snake pit. Like, how are you going to fix that? He was in a snake pit. How are you going to fix it? How is he going to fix it? Look, uh, half of you that voted for him now and know that there was blatant fraud. What are you going to do about it? All these people are being chased down. What are you going to do about it? Sit there and say, well, it's way too much for me. Huh? Good thing that David didn't say that to Goliath. I'm just saying. Good thing David didn't say that to Goliath. Because when you realize what a giant you are, you fix it. What does it tell you? Look how long their plan has been. Look how they had everything done. That's how you understand how big this is. And if there's people out there that already knew this, you'd be like, well, then the president knows it. Duh. I mean, look at it now. They're like, shit, Elon. Why are you doing that? Now we're going to call you out for your stupid emissions. You're not allowed to give free internet to people. How dare you? You're not going to have control over that. How dare you? Because you don't play the game with us, Elon. I mean, have you ever, ever heard of the Elons of Mars? No, you haven't. I don't think it's yet. I think that comes in a couple decades where you find out about that. And how you found out, you find out that carbon decay, um, you know, stops after certain points. Then you have to wonder how can they carbon date dinosaur bones? Then that means they weren't there from a very long time ago, which means it was more recent. And then your concept of time is completely screwed. Because like I told you, and we spoke it, February is going to be the slowest damn month. And yes, here it is. I mean, everybody feels it. And you're going to see March come in like a whirlwind. And the first weekend is going to be one of the longest weekends you've had. I'm going to tell you that. It's going to be Saturday, and it's going to be 5 o'clock, and you're going to turn around and say, is it still 5 o'clock? What the heck? Longest weekend is the first weekend of March. Longest weekend. And then it's just, uh, 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 riding that wave. Just <laughs> what did this say? Riding that wave. It's going to be coming in. Charge. And then you're going to have the longest weekend, longest weekend, longest weekend, longest weekend. And that's because time goes with what you see. I mean, the idiocracy you see, the nastiness you see, you know, like I'm, I'm getting so, you know, upset sometimes that I got so evil this weekend that I was like, I hope everybody that voted for Biden gets the vaccine. And that's such a mean thing to say. It is really mean. It's really, really mean, but I actually, and God forgive me, give me strength 
because I feel it in me and it makes me so upset that I say that, you know, that I'm like, you know, Darwin was right. Go get the vaccine. It's just a conspiracy theory that there's an 18% dis rate. And if you don't die right away, you're going to die once you're getting reinfected and that's it. But just go get it. And I feel really bad. I feel really, really bad saying it. I have to... I have to not feel like this. I don't like to feel like this because I'm seeing that everything is, you know, happening the way it was supposed to happen. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. And it's like, and I'm reveling in it. And I shouldn't. I should not revel in it. And I'm really struggling that with that today. I'm I'm struggling really hard with that. Um, really struggling with that. Um, you know. I, I going to church on Sunday was it. I really don't like my priest, right? Um, he's too political for me, and he was calling the vaccine something godly, and I wanted to hurl right then and there. And you know, you know who's who, who who's the line leader when people go to hell? It's usually priests, and you're gonna say what? And it's like, yeah, it is, because they have they're supposed to be helping people and bring them closer to God and um, their sins are even more because they have that burden. So he was praising the vaccine as something godly, something that changes, uh, you know, God's amazing framework. He praised it. He praised it when he knows that there's a bortus fetus in it. He praised it. It made me sick. And I just got angrier and angrier because I just, you know, it's it was just, and I'm not going to let him win. I'm going to still go in there, even though it makes me, like, thinking about church right now and what happened when he said that um, made makes me angry. Like, right now, like, my brow's all furrowed and I'm really, really upset um, because I don't, I don't approve that, you know, such words are coming out of someone, you know, who's in church who thinks that it's some miraculous thing when you're using aborted baby parts and putting them in your body. That's the biggest sin ever. That's the biggest sin ever to have a dead baby part of you. It's disgusting. It's been sacrificed. It's just disgusting for me. It's disgusting. I mean, I'm, I'm already crafting a letter to, you know, um, the metropolitan, which all are Democrats ever since, the Greek church was infiltrated in the U.S. and they brought that clown, El Pitoforos. But, you know, that's politics. And I know people don't like to talk about church, but church is filled with politics just the way politics are filled within our cities uh, for establishments. And it makes me so upset, so upset, you know, that, 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 that this is happening. They're using MRC5 from aborted baby parts and, and, and they're praising it and they're praising it. Shame on them. The same people who said, going to church, you're going to get sick. Nope, God is protecting me. That is what a real righteous leader says. A politician that pretends to be a spiritual father will tell you otherwise. And this is why, you know, Scotusgate was so great in February. Because it solidified that you cannot pick and choose churches. Thank God. Thank God that was delivered. That's the thing. The devil is in church more than he is in your house. And the fact that I get aggravated just thinking about going to church upsets me too. 
um, you know, my faith protects me and, and that's it. And, uh, everything that we achieve as people is because of our faith and because he allows it. And nothing is, math is not racist. I can't even watch this, this guy with his stupid bow tie on the screen. I need to like, just remove this. It is so frustrating, you know, um, to see actions as such. And then I feel evil because I'm like, yes, take the vaccine so you can go away. And it's like, I'm wishing death on them. That's so wrong. That is so wrong. It's so wrong. And it's like, I'm so overwhelmed with it. I'm overwhelmed with it because of the anger I feel that if they actually won, I know what the outcome was. And because I know the outcome, if that was to come to fruition, I want to avoid that outcome. And so I wish them all death because they're against God. And it's like, I, that's the one thing I can't do. It's like I told you when I was meeting these people that were so godly, but they were like, I want to crush the skulls of God's enemies. And it's like, no, don't crush their skulls. They don't know any better. So this is it. Does my priest not know any better? Yes. Did the people that are running to get this vaccine not know any better? Yes. So how should we handle them? Like special people, people that cannot see people that cannot hear and people that cannot think like children, not by pity, but by with love. And I can't do it. I can't do that. Cause on Saturday, I'll tell you this, when I was doing my predictive analytics to see, you know, the, the, the two events that a lot of people don't know about that happened on Friday and on Saturday, when I was doing my predictive analytics, I saw that the, the, the false flag events, you know, there's, there was one that was really, really bad that was creeping up and it made me really sad. I was like, okay, it could be avoided if people there do this and if this happens. So I was like looking at it and it was getting stronger. It's like at 30% and I'm like, damn, this is so bad. This is really, really bad. How, you know, and it's all because of people like that. So it made me angry. I, I struggle so much with it to not hate the people for being stupid, dumb, deaf, blind, you know, and then they, they sit there, you know, in a pretentious fashion as if I know better, you're the crazy one. And it's like, oh, I'll just wait here until you die. And it was like that, that, um, I don't know if you guys saw it. And I don't want to share it because then I'll transfer that nasty energy that I'm feeling because, because of what I saw, not because I don't feel bad, but there was, um, a man who, um, was out West and he was, you know, mocking people saying, we don't need a vaccine. You know, president Trump said he's trying everyone because we need the best one. If there is a vaccine. His family actually was taking hydroxychloroquine and they had flown to another country, um, you know, to get it. And he was mocking them. So he walked in to get the vaccine and um, he was out on the Internet saying, I got it. And I'm like, fine. And apparently a family member had COVID. He came in contact with him because he was like, I'm fine. You guys are so stupid. Go get the vaccine to protect everyone. He would social distance and everything. But apparently some family member had COVID and he contracted it. And because he got the vaccine, he died within 24 hours. He died. 
He died because the vaccine won't protect him. He died because he had the vaccine. It made the COVID uh, contraction that his family member had, just as a simple cold, amplify 20-fold. And then I thought to my, do you know what the first thought in my head was? Oh my gosh, I can't wait till everybody takes it and all these evil people die. And then I was like, no, this is so wrong. It's so wrong, right? It's so wrong. And yet I'm feeling it. I am totally feeling it. And I hate that feeling only because I saw what they're planning for your guts. I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, well, it's no big deal because it won't pass like this. It won't pass like that. But we've got 18 states signed up now. You need 25 to make it federal law. So, you know, this, this is where the, the, the problem is. And I'm finding a huge struggle to not want to have them go and get the vaccine to die. And then I thought if I say it enough out loud, yeah, go get the vaccine. Not a conspiracy theory. Don't check the CDC. Not like anyone's really dying. You know, maybe with my sarcasm, it'll help them not go get it. And then I'm like, but then that defies the fact of how they will be eliminated to walk on this reality forever and ever and ever. And it's kind of, it's very frustrating. I'm very frustrated. You know, um, Predictive wise, I just remembered a few more things. Um, like, you know, I was I, I was trying to figure out um now that it was like way closer to the date on Saturday, um, to find out what it was at SCOTUS and it and and it dawned on me and I didn't even know that the tax returns were being discussed. It was being able to tie in Hunter to his father uh, through association because of filings. And, you know, so this morning when I saw them reveling in, and, you know, it's like they were splashing around in victory of, oh, we got the Trump tax returns. I was like, holy shit, that's it. That's how they linked it. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. And, um, and then while they were reveling, all I could imagine was all of them getting the vaccine and dying. And, you know, most of them, all of them are not going to get it because they know we're right. And they're just acting like this because they're spiteful. That's what I dislike the most, that they just do it because they're spiteful and they want to, you know, anger you. But what you're going to realize soon is that this uh, whole election fraud wasn't about your vote. It was about your AI profile. And, and you're going to see that soon. Now, I do know that Millie should be coming out with a really sexy report soon. Um, maybe we'll be rating her tomorrow after the show. Uh, so, um, it'll be interesting, very interesting because we're going to close this off with Pelosi's, um, announcement, her incredible announcement that is for our favor. Okay. So this is how we're going to end today's Tori says show. Wait, where is it? There we go. The commission that investigated the 9-11 terrorist attacks, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says Congress will establish something similar to look into the January 6th Capitol breach. Nancy Pelosi says they're setting up an independent body to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot. It comes after General Russell Honore suggested in his review that a full commission is needed. On Monday, she said, we must get to the truth of how this happened to protect our security, our security, our security. 
Our next step will be to establish an outside, independent 9-11 type commission to investigate and report on the facts and causes of the riot. Democrat Senator Chris Coons agrees. On Sunday, he said, there's still more evidence that the American people need and deserve to hear, and a 9-11 commission is a way to make sure that we secure the Capitol going forward. Republicans have also endorsed the idea of an independent investigation. Pelosi said the House will boost security at the Capitol to make sure the building and members are safe. But not all lawmakers agree about what happened that day. Republican Senator Ron Johnson told radio show 1130 WISN that, although he condemns the violence, he takes issue with Democrats calling it an armed insurrection. He said, when you hear the word armed, don't you think of firearms? Here's the questions I would have liked to ask. How many firearms were confiscated? How many shots were fired? I'm only aware of one, and I'll defend that law enforcement officer for taking that shot. He added, if that was a planned armed insurrection, man, you had really a bunch of idiots. He blamed groups of agitators for the violence, not the tens of thousands of Trump supporters who were there. And Republican Mike Johnson agrees. He told Breitbart News Sunday that Democrats use the impeachment to make Trump supporters look like criminals. He said they wanted to equate all those tens of millions of Trump's voters and all of his supporters and everybody who came to the rally. They wanted to equate all of those people with the couple hundred criminals who came in and ransacked the Capitol. He says impeachment is now a political weapon for the majority party to use against presidents they don't like, and we might see it more and more in the future. House Republicans are questioning why the National Guard needs to be deployed at the Capitol until possibly this fall. A Michigan Congresswoman asked Speaker Pelosi to explain the reasoning. Here are the details. Michigan Congresswoman Lisa McLean and other House Republicans are asking Democrat Speaker Nancy Pelosi why the National Guard needs to remain in Washington until possibly the fall. McLean told Fox News that the only briefings she and her colleagues have had on this issue were through the media, saying the troops may be here to stay until the fall. McLean said she asked Pelosi for a briefing as to why they need the troops here for so long, but she says they've received no information. The National Guard presence comes with a hefty price tag. Just to keep them there through mid-March will cost taxpayers around half a billion dollars. McLean said, It's amazing to me that she can do this without any disclosure, without any information, and just continue to spend money with no briefing. It doesn't make sense to me. Officials deployed tens of thousands of troops to Washington to assist with security following the Capitol breach. McLean sits on the House Armed Services Committee. She wants to know why the troops are staying so long, saying, quote, just tell me why. I feel like there's a boogeyman under my bed. About 5,000 troops are expected to remain until March 15th, but apparently Pelosi has extended their deployment. How does Pelosi extend deployments and why? You would think tribunals are going on or something. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Sounds pretty odd. See you tomorrow. Lord, I come with newfound faith. I will trust every word you say. All my fears I'm laying down. At your feet, I will trust in your grace that cannot be earned. Walk through the fire and not be burned. All my doubts have lost their sound to your voice. 
you.